Good morning. My name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bell Mead. And if we haven't met, I would love the chance to get to know you. We're so glad you're here to worship today. And if you're online, we want to say a welcome to you again. We hope that you will say hello and interact with our online pastor, Rachel. Today is the third Sunday of our July sermon series on the Beatitudes, these blessed practices of Jesus. Uh, the Beatitudes come from two places in the Bible. The first is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I've invited you to read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And then there are some uh, parallel texts in Luke chapter 6 on what was called the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, what we talked about already is that Matthew's Beatitudes tend to focus on the conditions of our hearts, these kind of spiritual things that we can adjust or try to be transformed by, whereas Luke's Beatitudes really focus on the literal socioeconomic circumstances that people are facing. And, it, and his Beatitudes are this reminder, um, as Roman is, Rome is oppressing people, that God is on the people's side, that God is for the poor and God is for the oppressed. We've talked about how blessed uh, can be interchanged with other words like fortunate or happy, even privileged or well-off. But when we uh, include those words, and even the word blessed, sometimes it doesn't sound right. Like privileged are you who mourn, or well off are you who are poor. It seems like a paradox. But we've said that, you know, when we talk about what it means to be blessed because we mourn, what we mean is we're blessed because we allow ourselves to grieve. We don't look away from our grief. We stop long enough to let our souls catch up to ourselves. We're honest about the feelings that are bubbling up on the inside. Or as we talked about last week, we are blessed when we find ourselves poor in spirit because it's in that emptiness that we turn to God and depend on God and call out to God for help. And we stop trying to control and contrive and bend everything to our own will. This week I was reading more about the Beatitudes and, and found this fact that I wanted to share with you. It was the reminder that these Beatitudes were not originally written to individuals. They were written to the community of faith. And so we might read some of these like, blessed are the meek or merciful or pure in heart or those who are peacemakers and think, that's not me. But the point was to work on these together as a faith community and I think that's part of our strength. We come together and we look around and we see examples of what it means to be merciful or pure in heart. And, and iron sharpens iron. We come together with our strengths and our weaknesses and we do faith as one. Like we could try to do it on our own, but the point is to be together. Today, we're looking at blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. And last week we talked about, it was um, helpful to understand Luke's beatitude in the context of Luke, that Jesus had just come to the temple uh, in his hometown of Nazareth and unrolled a scroll and said, I am here to proclaim good news to the poor. And so that beatitude, blessed are the poor, reminds us that that is Jesus's mission. Or that in Luke 5, right before that beatitude, Jesus called a tax collector into the kingdom of God. 
And that would have necessarily changed his life to stop taking from the poor because of this economic justice that we find in the kingdom of God. And so the same is true today. We can understand this beatitude better when we place it in the context of the book of Matthew. And when we do that, we see that Matthew uses these words meek and gentle as key characteristics throughout his gospel to reverse these worldly ideas of what it means to be a king and the kind of kingdom that the world offers. So here's an example. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And so what Jesus is saying here is that binding yourself to me, like shackling yourself to the kingdom of God is not a burden and it doesn't cause hardship. You learn this different way of being, something the world cannot offer you, a way of rest. Or in Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, um, it is this prophecy that Matthew references from Isaiah saying that this has been fulfilled because Jesus is here. And this is what it says. Uh, Jesus will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Through Jesus's pursuit of justice, these are not his methods. And so your earthly kings, they may cause violence, they may quarrel, they may overpower others, they may break and bruise and smolder and snuff out, but that is not Jesus. Finally, Matthew chapter 21, verse five, talks about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, something we often only look at once a year. And it is this... Uh, prophecy from Zechariah that says, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Now, if you remember on that first Palm Sunday into Jerusalem came two processions. One was Pilate representing empire with all this military might. And the other was Jesus riding in on a donkey called gentle and humble. There are those visuals of two kingdoms and two very different kinds of kings. One scholar says that meekness in Matthew characterizes anyone who has renounced the violent methods of worldly power. And so still today, we are choosing between two different kingdoms and different sets of kings. We are always negotiating where our allegiances lie. The promise for us in this beatitude is that the kingdom of God offers us something different, these great reversals, a way to somehow be gentle and humble and nonviolent. Now, when we think about the word meek itself, uh, meek is defined in several different ways, uh, to be quiet, to be gentle. Uh, I came upon two definitions uh, that were new to me this week, easily imposed on and submissive. Now, I can tell you that I had a little bit of pause when I heard the word submissive, um, particularly as a woman. I think some of us feel like we have been taught to be submissive 
to be present but not to have a voice or an opinion. Um, Perhaps by a similar token, some of you men have felt that you have been taught to be quiet or to be gentle is more stereotypically feminine, that uh, your strength means that you are bold and that you hold back your true authentic emotions. You know, sometimes when we look at those uh, who are our leaders, we are more apt to evaluate someone described as meek, as too easily swayed, a softy, a pushover, like someone who does not have thick enough skin to handle the job. And so I think for those reasons, and maybe more, more that you would add, being meek does not always sound like a blessing. But what I hear today is that the kingdom of God is asking us to reclaim meekness as a good thing. Someone in the 830 worship service told me afterwards, she said, I heard that meekness is strength under control. Could we be strength under control? How might we offer the world gentleness and humility and nonviolence to push back against the harshness and the egocentric characteristics that we see, the ways that we experience violence in macro and micro ways all the time. Maybe another way to say it, can we be relaxed and flexible and light instead of rigid and immovable and heavy? Last night, I uh, pulled my almost two-year-old daughter out of the bathtub and I wrapped her up in her big white towel and I picked her up and as soon as I picked her up, she started to say, Band-Aid, Band-Aid. And that's because literally two weeks ago, she saw her brother get out of the bath and get a Band-Aid and put it on his toe. And so for two weeks, every single night as I pulled her out, she has said, Band-Aid, Band-Aid. And she takes the Band-Aid and wraps it around her toe. And so I got her this Peppa Pig Band-Aid and I walked her over to the changing table. And as I went to lay her on top of it, on top of her dresser, uh, I saw that I needed to wipe her nose. I I promise the story's going somewhere. Um, I saw that I needed to wipe her nose. And so I was like, okay, don't move because that always works with a two-year-old, you know? (laughs) Don't move, I'll be right back. And I go to the bathroom and I grab some tissue paper and, you know, come back. And um, she can see me like coming at her with with the tissue and she starts like thrashing around and turning her head away from me. And so I stopped. And I remembered, oh yeah, I'm smarter than this two-year-old. And uh, several weeks ago, I developed a new strategy and it was to tell her like, Madeline, I'm about to wipe your nose. Um, And as I get close to her face, I always say, gentle, gentle. (laughs) And I realized that this strategy actually worked. Like when I paused and I slowed down and I told her what was coming and I approached her with gentility, it created a better outcome. And it reminded me that in her classroom full of toddlers at our children's center, every time they like whack one another in the face or throw a toy across the room, the teachers repeat this phrase to them, gentle hands, gentle hands. And so what if the people of the kingdom of God were the ones who in the face of harshness thrown at us, slowed down and stopped and came back with a different approach? What if we were the ones to hold and care for people with gentle hands? 
What if we returned violent words with gentle words? What if we were like a warm, steady, gentle breeze when the rest of the world was chaos around us? There are so many times that I think to myself, I wish this person knew what was going on in my life and maybe they would be a little more gentle with me. And honestly, I think everybody thinks that way. So what if the people of the kingdom of God lived like we absolutely know that people are walking around experiencing sharp edges and unexpected stings and flesh wounds from their disappointments and insecurities and their grief? That there are days that each one of us goes home and after our bath, we're looking for a Band-Aid to hold it all together and keep us whole. You know, sometimes we realize that we've been too harsh and we have to like go back and reel it back in. There is strength in going back and saying, I was wrong. I offer you uh, my humility and my, uh, and my apology. This happened last night with my five-year-old son. I'm like impatient with him and, and frustrated with him as I'm shoving in the bed so I can go write a sermon about gentility. And I went back and I said, Lewis, I'm sorry, you know? Mommy's just a little tired and stressed out. Will you accept my apology? You know, sometimes uh, we have extra hard days that turn into extra hard seasons. And the person that we need to be most kind and most gentle to is ourself. I've told you this story before, but... Uh, before I came to Belmede, I, I worshiped out at a church in Mount Juliet for three years with my husband, Mark. And at that church, we found a home group, a small group of young adults who were in the same phase of life as us. And we did everything with them. We prayed with them. We worshiped with them. We did Bible study together. We went and had meals. We uh, you know, did all the fun stuff together. And three years later, when I came to Belmede, uh, seven years ago in my first few months of being here, one of the members of that group died by suicide. And that was one of the hardest things that me and my husband had to face at the time. I was asked to do his funeral, the very first funeral I ever did. And it was in the aftermath of that week uh, that it snowed and Mark and I went outside and we created a fire in the midst of the snow and we sat by the warmth and we wrapped ourselves up in warm blankets and we put on warm clothes because we needed the gentleness, like extra hard seasons call for extra comfort. Can we allow ourselves that? If this feels hard or even impossible to be meek in this world, I feel like it's good to remember this is a lifelong striving. This is like a journey towards fulfillment. We can be this way, uh, not because we can muster it ourselves, because, but because we are people who are submissive to God. We may not want to be submissive to other people, but this is about surrendering ourselves to Jesus. This week in uh, VBS, I was, did the storytelling one day, and the prayer at the end was, help me to be softer, Lord. Help me to be softer, Lord, so that I can hear you. 
And so it is possible when we say, Jesus, I want your way of life to impose on my way of life. I want to surrender to you the pieces of me that are not meek, my pride, my jealousy, my comparison, my fast-paced bull in a china shop, draining tendencies. Jesus, I want an easy yoke that is light and free and restful. And this part about inheriting the earth helps us to understand this submission and this surrender. Scholars think that this beatitude uh, comes from Jesus recalling Psalm chapter 37, verse nine, that says, for those who are evil will be destroyed, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Now, uh, Jesus is sort of correcting an assumption that those people who came from uh, a certain patriarch would be the ones to inherit the land. Like the people who had wealth would of course gain more land and have more wealth. But here Jesus is saying, no, it's the people who submit to the king of another kingdom that will enjoy forever peace and prosperity. Later, uh, readers of the gospel and writers like Paul, they would, they would mend, uh, amend the land to the earth, that you would inherit the earth. And by that, they, mean, they meant everything, like the whole created order. And in uh, the end time, they meant the renewed earth. So let me put this all together for you. The meek would not just inherit the land, but everything. And to me, therein lies the connection to the greatest paradox of all in the Christian faith. Jesus says, in order to gain, you have to give up. In order to find, you have to lose. In order to live, you have to die. And so this beatitude is saying, blessed are those who learn how to surrender all to Jesus. For what they gain is everything. Thanks be to God. Amen.